0: All right, hey everybody! I'm super excited to welcome the best LGBTQ comedian in the world, in the universe. I don't care if you're any other comedian. Who's that? He's the best. Um, super excited to welcome Ty Rivera. I hope I, I hope I said it right. kill. That would have sucked if I butchered that introduction. Um, but you have been on, you know, Comedy Central. You, I actually saw you just based on your Facebook post. It's so rare. To see a comedian who's like so brave in this current climate and you guys will understand why i said that um when you get to know him a little bit more um you've been at comedy central you perform all over the country mongolia oh my god you're like worldwide famous so welcome hi how are you doing
1: i'm doing well i was actually the first ever openly gay comedian to perform in mongolia and there was a chance that i could have been arrested because um you're not supposed to promote sex, you know, in a public space or, and, and my act definitely does do that or toe that line. Luckily for me, the U S ambassador to Mongolia was there. And so he was, you know, and he was a fan. I was actually doing crowd work with one of his assistants who I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know who they were. You know, I just thought, it was this older white couple. (laughs) And I was like, let me have fun with this. And it turned out that, you know, that was his assistant and he was the U.S. ambassador.
0: That's incredible. How did you even land that gig?
1: Um, There's a group that uh, is Shanghai Comedy Bunker is the name of the group. And they actually booked me to perform in China once a year. And Like when Corona started like becoming a big deal here, like, you know, March, when people really started being concerned with it, that's usually when I'm there between March and April, you know, sometime in there. And it's usually about 10 days and they'll book me like Shanghai. They'll have me all over China. I've been to Wuhan twice now. And then this time they were just like, do you want to fly out to Mongolia? It would be a big deal for them because you'd be the first. And I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do that. So I went to Mongolia for a day.
0: That's amazing because I was just going to ask you because your name seems so international and then you perform at all these places like what? Is, what actually is your back? I know you have a joke around it but like what I
1: am Mexican-American right? is what I am and I know everybody thinks I'm Asian and so I'm Mexican-American now.
0: I was just listening to your interview with like Felipe Esparza and I was like oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this um so <laughs> can you tell us like wh- like how did you start comedy?
1: Um, really it was one of those situations where, um, this is not to bum anybody out or whatever, but my sister had just died and, you know, she was relatively young and uh, a little bit older than me. And it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes something like that will happen and you'll be like, okay, well, I'm either going to live my life or I'm not. And I knew that I was doing like working doing stuff that I didn't necessarily wanna do anymore, you know, Um, but comedy isn't like a quick, you start it and then you move on to doing comedy, you know, it's not like that kind of job. And so I was just like, I wonder how you get started. And it seemed to be the path was to do open mics. So I went to an open mic and from there just, you know, started working on what it is I do now.
0: I love it. Because even when we can't do open mics, you're still very funny and hilarious on Facebook. So I I find it so entertaining. So like, what are your thoughts on like, what's going on in the world? Because I know you have a podcast called Unbothered as well. But um, if you can like condense, like, what are your thoughts on what's going on here? And you voted for Trump. So i just love to hear like, what, what are, what are your thoughts on what is happening?
1: Well, that's the thing that gets caught up on social media is, like, people don't understand, like, as much as people on the left love to say, you know, you can do two things at once, you can be concerned about this and concerned about this, they love to say that line, you know, and it's always about, like, you know, say, misogyny, and, you know, Black Lives Matter, or you know what I mean? So they they love to say that. But when you actually exercise that in real life, people will really slam you for it. Because the thing is... I can be conservative in the way that I vote and still liberal in the way that I think. I can, you know, be, um, understand people from the right and like more Caucasian redneck type culture and still be an ethnic person and be proud of that. I don't have to give that up in order to like, you know, get along with these people or be able to at least understand them. And so with me, with what's going on in the world, it gets kind of kind of dicey sometimes because there are times when I do know what people are talking about when they mention white privilege and stuff like that. I think that's overused and I don't think it has to be an excuse for everything and I don't think that white people never accomplish anything. It's all attributable to being white. You know, I don't feel that, but at the same time I can see where that does come to come into play, you know, living in this country and being from Arizona, that's where I'm originally from. And so, you know, I've seen a lot of that stuff in practice. And so Like right now, I got in trouble with both sides pretty regularly, except for I have to admit that the people on the right are a lot more forgiving when you don't believe or don't agree with them. People on the left get mad at you if you say anything that deviates from what (laughs) they're saying. And when it comes to like, you know, LGBT, trans rights, stuff like that, it's like sometimes I, I get in trouble for saying that I feel like we need to be patient in some situations. Like when uh, Barack Obama got voted into office, I had actually voted for Barack Obama. And then um, the day, well, you know, that night, the next day, everything came in from Prop 8. And then everybody realized that gay marriage was not going to be allowed in or in California at that time, which I was in California when that happened. And nobody wanted to celebrate the fact that Obama had just won. Instead, they wanted to complain about, about the fact that gay marriage was not legal. And I was just sort of like, you know, you guys, you got to remember, we just got a Black president. This is a lot for a lot of the country to take <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I felt like gay marriage was inevitably going to happen. Right. Like, you know, so for me, I felt very chill about it. Like, yeah, maybe it's not happening right now. And so I'm not really worried about that. It will happen. And I turned out to be right. But at the time, everybody was mad at me because I wasn't willing to go for marches and I wasn't going to dedicate my whole life to this fight, you know, to overturn Prop 8. It was just like, can I, as a person of color, celebrate for a minute and just be happy that we've made this progress? Like, when I was growing up, if you had said there was going to be a Black president, people would have literally laughed at you. So now to be where we are, I mean, like even the idea of gay marriage being put up, you know, for any kind of debate when I was a kid, that would have never happened. Everybody would have been like, yeah, people don't do that. They're not supposed to do that. You know, like that's that's what the mindset was. So when I'm watching the world in my lifetime grow in leaps and bounds or what appears to be leaps and bounds to me, I'm not going to panic with you because it's not happening as fast as your spoiled self might think it should be happening. You know, so I get in trouble on that end. And then, you know, with, uh, I am supportive of the Black Lives Matter people, but not the Black Lives Matter movement. And a lot of people don't understand that because, you know, the movement itself is really more of a political arm. And I think that just got exposed the other day when Candace Owens, who everybody hates, you know, I personally... Which is
0: sad. Yeah, I love her, but I don't understand. Well, I can kind of understand, but I just feel like it's excessive hatred. Sorry, I just had to...
1: No, yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah. completely. And I, I feel the same way, because I really do like Candace Owens. I, I feel like she's, I respect anybody that's able to put their thoughts together like that. Because a lot of times when you talk to people on the left, they really don't have any real thought behind what they're saying. It's just what they've been told to say and what their friends say and what's popular to say. But then you press them on anything, and that's why they get so angry with you when you ask them questions. It's because they haven't thought it through, and they don't have an answer for you. You know, so of course yeah. you have to be stupid at that point because I can't answer you. You have to be stupid. And I don't know how that logic works, but it, it works for them. You know, yeah. and then they all jump in on you. Then it's just a bunch of people telling you how stupid you are. And you're like, how am I stupid just for thinking differently? Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Because, you know, when people find out that I'm a Trump supporter, they go from like very supportive to like, calling me like a sellout and it was just like what because I'm a minority woman I can't you know think for myself like you think I must be some sort of Nazi you know for like supporting him I must not have you know thought about this you know read his books so thank you for saying that you know I think the I don't I, what are your thoughts on just like because I saw your comedy and you know obviously we don't want, want everything to turn political but um, how do you feel like com- stand-up comedy is changing? or maybe it's staying the same, like what are your thoughts on the scene right now, either in Las Vegas where you are or just, you know, elsewhere?
1: Well, I think it's getting ready to go back. But what I haven't liked about standup comedy for the last, you know, couple of years now, probably since about, I think I, I noticed it, I pinned it down in a conversation the other day and I think it was around 2014 that I really started to not like what was happening in standup because it became less about making people laugh and more about political correctness and saying the right things. And that's great if you're gonna say things that have a punchline. If, I don't care what you say as long as it's funny when it comes to standup. But it bothers me that standup had gotten to a place where Nanette was considered like the number one comedy special. And it's like, I watched Nanette. That wasn't funny. And she knows it wasn't funny. Like she acknowledged it in her second special. But it's like, you know, then all of a sudden I'm a misogynist because I expect stand up comedy to be funny. And it's like, no, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying I know women that can be funny, that are funny. I'm saying this one isn't. On a very individual right. basis, this was not. So you're telling me that that's stand up comedy now? but I have noticed people have gotten tired of it and it seems to be headed back to just the fun or maybe it's the fact that I spend so much time in Las Vegas right now and people want to have fun. So a lot of, a lot of my world isn't concerned with that. I can say whatever I want and people are like, you know, if they laugh at it, it works and it's good.
0: Love that. So like your background is very interesting to me because you've moved around so many different places. So like What do you think were, like, your, who do you think, like, were your major influences? Like, you know, what were some of, like, the favorite places that you performed? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about, like, how you came to be who you are?
1: Well, I performed with really big comics that I don't know if they would want me to mention their names, but it's just what my history has been. Joe Coy, Gabriel Iglesias, Russell Peters were very influential in my growth. Joe Coy, probably more than anybody else. And just so everybody's clear on it, um, I haven't spoken to Joe Coy in a couple of years, like, you know, on a regular basis, every once in a while, we'll hit each other up and okay. say hi. And I know he's supportive of me as a comic, but he's not necessarily in line with my political views. So, makes just so sense. Like yeah. everybody doesn't go after him with the pitchforks. I want to make <laughs> sure everybody knows that. Has that happened? Well, people do that with people that still talk to me. Like, they'll hit them up in private wow. There's people, like, my Facebook, a lot of my likes come through direct message where people will be like, I love what you said. Because there was a point where the PC police would go through the likes and they would message people to tell them, I saw you like. One person messaged a friend of mine and said, you liking Ty Rivera's post today was tantamount to rape. And the post that I put up had nothing to do with rape, sexual assault, you know, anything like that. But that's what they told this person. And so, you know, a lot of people, like, can't necessarily be associated with me in any kind of public forum, even though I get a lot of support from people, you know. But when it came to Joe Coy, that was before I was this controversial, I guess you could say. And I was with him for about two years, a year and a half, two years. And I toured all over the country and all over the world with him. And he was very good to me. And he, he never put any kind of restriction on me. It was always like, do what you want. I think you're hilarious. He was very encouraging. Russell Peters was the same thing. Um, Gabriel Iglesias was also very helpful to me. Um, and so that was part of it. Then I started going out on my own and um, doing the road road, you know, because I was never like a LA comp, like I never felt like, LA was the place to stay or be even though I was living there at the time and uh so I always felt like I should go out on the road and so I started performing in the Pacific Northwest a lot Texas a lot and doing the actual road and that's where I got more exposure to like redneck clubs and where I started developing that and now that's kind of where a lot of my audience is is rural America
0: I love it wow it's like what you think the kind of audiences that you know when I go up and perform I was like okay maybe I'll go this way and sometimes depending on the crowd it totally goes a different way so it's very interesting like your core well I don't want to say core audience but like the most receptive people are just like way different from you um which is awesome um so who do you um I guess maybe I should ask this like what is your writing process
1: like my writing process would be I usually will have an idea I'd love to lie to you and be like you know I sit down and write for 2 hours every day. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I know there are those comics and I I respect the hell out of that. But I'm a person who will usually write down an idea and then I'll just try it at some open mic, you know, like some comics kind of I wouldn't say look down. There's a lot of comics that admire me for it, but there are certain comics that like poke fun a little bit because of the number of open mics that I'll still do, even though I'm a working comic. But for me, that's how I write. I I get an idea. I jump on at an open mic. I try it in front of a bunch of people that don't care who you are. And you know, they just want (laughs) to laugh or in some cases don't even want to laugh. They're just there to have a drink. And it turned out there was an open mic. And so I'll try it and I'll see what the reaction is and I'll, you know, go to another open mic after that and just shape it through going to open mics. And then if I'm having trouble with wording or there's something that I feel like isn't clicking, then I'll go home and I'll write. But for Mm. me, I have to try it in front of an audience and see if there's any kind of reaction before I'll even work on it. Otherwise to me, it's just a lot of fruitless labor.
0: Yeah, that's actually genius. Um, I think it's a better way because you get that instant feedback immediately. So, Um, Do you find that in person you get, like, similar reactions as Facebook, or you feel like Facebook um, pitchfork people are crazier uh, than they are
1: in real life? Facebook people are crazy, like, you know... (laughs) In real life, people are very nice yeah. to me, even people that don't agree. I've had a few where I've like shut people down that way. Audiences love it. You know, like every yeah. time <laughs> I'll, I'll say something that uh, somebody doesn't agree with. And a lot of times, you know, that does tend to be the Karens of the world. <laughs> it is a lot of times, you know, white women, a lot of times liberal white women, even though I think like Karen is kind of being uh, put on right wing. Uh, white women yeah
0: yeah, in her yeah experience
1: so. it's a lot of times the left wing white women that are the karens you know because they're offended right. by everything yeah so um i'll say something and a karen will shout out and it's very common for me to be like bitch this isn't facebook yeah. you know <laughs> and the audience will laugh and even she'll have to give in you know cuz right right even though i'm very confrontational on stage i do it in a fun enough way that it, i can pretty much say anything and people will laugh at it even the person that I'm poking fun at. It's very rare that I get people mad at me, but also that comes from performing in redneck clubs where they don't necessarily have security. They have a bouncer or a door guy. And if the door guy or the bouncer gets involved, a lot of cases, somebody's head is going through the door. Like that's the way that works. So you don't wanna be known as the comic that's making that happen. So you find ways to say what you're gonna say, even if you're gonna be sassy or sarcastic or even borderline rude about it, but to say it in a way where the audience can feel that you're coming from a fun place, you're not trying to be better than them. You're just obviously trying to do your job and keep control of the room. And I think if the audience like senses that more than what your actual words say, if they feel that, then they're going to have your back and then everybody just has a good time again.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. Love that. So do you remember what your first open mic was like? Like, What were some of the feelings that you that were going through your head and like... Do you remember uh, yeah. how your audience
1: was? Yeah, my first open mic was at a place called The Sets in Tempe, Arizona, and I don't even know if that venue is still open. But it was uh, um, a m- technically a music venue, and they would have a you know a stand up open mic there once a week. And. It was set up like a contest, which I now know is a bringer. At the time, I didn't know what a bringer was, you know, where you
0: brought right.
1: people or whatever. And I brought nobody. And they would let you do that once and they would give you the deal, you know? Right. And so um, I had written down, you know, because at that time I had to write my full set out. That's where I come from, is actually writing everything down. Um, and so I wrote bullet points on my hand in pen. But while I was sitting, waiting to go up, I was rubbing my hands on my <laughs> feet, and it hadn't occurred to me. You know what I mean? I was so nervous, it hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. So I went on stage, and I did a couple jokes, or tried to do a couple jokes, and it, it, it got laughs, of stuff that I said, and then I forgot what I was going to say next, so I went to look at my bullet points, and the audience saw me react when I noticed that <laughs> it. it was all gone. Uh- everybody started laughing, and then... I maybe out of a five minute set, I maybe did two and a half minutes, you know, total. And then I just went in and got off stage, but I had gotten laughs and people had liked me. And so I kept, you know, kept going back.
0: That's awesome. How long have you been doing comedy?
1: <sighs> um, 17 years now.
0: I wow. Think. That's incredible. Amazing yeah. veteran for sure. What were you doing before comedy?
1: Um, I worked in an office for a while. I mean, like, obviously I didn't have all the tattoos and stuff like that. (laughs) I was a regular person at a point in my life. Uh, I worked in an office for a while. I was an escort for a while. I um, worked at a scented oils and perfuming company during my time, you know, doing comedy. Like there was a point where, where I was working two jobs while doing comedy. And an even rougher time where I had two jobs and a boyfriend and that was real. Damn. Yeah, I mean, like that was the hardest point in my life, you know, I, um, we ended up breaking up and that was like the best thing for me because between, you know, two jobs doing stand-up open mics and not being anywhere in comedy, like I was making no money off comedy at that time. Maybe once in a while I'd get like a $10 gig or something, you know, but really no money. And so when we broke up, even though I was upset about that from like an emotional point of view, from a standup point of view, it really helped me out. And it was like, okay, now I can concentrate.
0: Mm, I see. So I know you have, you, you've talked about criteria in terms of like your dating. Like, what is it like dating as like a comedian in general? Well, that... Because of the lives, I'm asking because of the lifestyle, you know, like, you know, I've been doing comedy since like last October, so I'm a super newbie, but it's interesting to see because the lifestyle is like, you know, you stay up till like two or 3 a.m. and then you're going to bars all the time. And then well, you're, yeah, what are your thoughts on?
1: Yeah, that's really hard for me, like dating, cause a lot of people start off really cool. Like the way relationships usually work out for me is I'll meet someone, they'll be interested, I'll be interested. But I'll tell them from the beginning, like, look, this isn't going to be like a regular relationship. I'm going to miss a lot of stuff. I'm not going to be there for Christmas. I'm not going to be there for <laughs> the birthday.
0: You're true. Yeah. <laughs>
1: if you're lucky, then maybe I'll have those days off or I'll be free on those days. But don't count on those. I'm not going to just go to your sister's house or your mom's house. Or, <laughs> oh you know, I'm not going to be that kind of boyfriend. And they're always in the beginning like, oh, that's cool. I understand that. Yeah, they
0: like you more because it's like, oh, wow, it's a challenge.
1: Yeah, and then yeah. you get a couple months into the relationship and then they start trying to put the clamps on you and now we got to go to my mom's house for her birthday and we got and I'm like I told you from the beginning I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> then it turns into a situation where they act like you're mentally or emotionally neglecting them and it, it's just it's like at this point I don't want to date anybody. I have a small dog and I'm good with that.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. What breed is it? Chihuahua. Oh, that's so cute. Um yeah. that's that's adorable if you can uh show him that be if you know, if he's around. Okay. Um Come
1: here. Get up here. Let me see you. Let me
0: see
1: the puppy. Mm. Oh, so cute.
0: Oh. Very cute.
1: Yeah, and awesome. She, she's done the road with me quite a bit. She oh was-
0: wow. Yeah, there's a lot of comedians who bring their dogs along. Like I I mean, I guess before I didn't know, but yeah, I've seen a lot of comedians, like, bring their pets along, so it must be more fun that yeah, way.
1: sometimes when I'm being an asshole with other comics, I will tell them, my dog's done the road more than you have.
0: <laughs> so, so, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> it's, so,
1: it's, it's true. <laughs>
0: like, do you find other comics are, well, you know, obviously big name people have brought you on and, like, I feel like I don't really get along with a lot of comedians because of my um, outspoken opinions, but like, do you feel like you try to make friends with them or do you not care or either way or like, what are your tips and advice uh, for getting comedian friends?
1: Well, once, you know, I haven't seen you perform yet. Um, So I don't know where you're at as far as that goes. I'm Um, very,
0: very newbie. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, what I would tell you is not to worry about friends at all. What you wanna do is make sure that your material is as strong as it can possibly be. And the fact that certain people don't like you because of your opinions will actually make you a stronger comic. It'll make you better. Because when you get used to people being hostile towards you, then when people are being nice to you, you know, the audience is being nice to you, it'll make it especially easy. You know, because you're already used to the other comedians not liking you. So you really don't care what anybody's opinion is at right. point. You know, it's just kind of like, this is just what I do. So it lets you relax a little bit more. And as your material gets stronger, other comedians will just be drawn to you. Because real comedians, and I don't say this in any elitist type of way. A lot of times when I talk like this, people act like I'm being an elitist or a gatekeeper. None of that. I'm just talking facts. Real comedians even if they don't agree with what you say on stage will respect you and they'll want to be around you because you're funny and you're able to do the job. And a lot of people, like, as much as people pretend on social media, a lot of people can't do this job. And I don't mean in a financial way, because there's people that are making money off of running rooms and stuff like that, where they're able to support themselves, you know, solely off stand-up or solely off comedy. But, when you watch their standup, it's like audiences don't really like their stuff. They're just good at putting together a show, promoting, maybe they're popular so people will come out, you know, but when it comes to the actual job of being on stage and being funny and audiences liking you and audience, audiences wanna see you, wanting to see you, there's, you know, only so many of us throughout the country that are able to actually do that. So, um, and also people like once, You start working like other working comedians also have a respect for the fact that we are all in the same fight in a lot of cases you know we are all trying to you know stay booked on the road and there's different little rooms that open up and close and we're getting screwed by not a lot of club owners but in some cases that does happen in some cases disreputable bookers like these are all things that we deal with as comics so when it comes to real stand-up comedians we don't usually try to make each other's lives harder because we realize that it's already hard enough. You know, I mentioned the dating right. part, like I joke about that part, but it, it does sometimes get lonely when, you know, it's hard for you to find an actual partner because a lot of people can't deal with the reality of the lifestyle. So the other comedians do become your, your family and your, you know, your best friends because they actually understand it firsthand. Um, like you saw that happen with Louis C.K. You know, a lot of people were mad at like Sarah Silverman or, you know, some of the, I guess, more feminist type comedians, or, you know, like the ones that are, maybe should have seemed like they were against Louis. And people, the general public was like, well, how can you still be friends with Louis? And what people didn't understand was, in a lot of cases, these comedians have been friends for 20 some plus years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you've helped me get through like the death of a family member or uh, the end of a relationship or, you know, like the stuff that happens a lot of times behind the scenes that nobody will ever see, those build actual friendships and maybe just because somebody did something you don't like or the public doesn't like, you're not just going to ditch them because you're like, no, this is my actual friend and this is what friendship is supposed to be.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's great. So, um, you've been in comedy for 17 years. Holy shit. That's a long time. Like In your opinion, like, what do you think separates the people who make it versus the people who don't? Like, besides time, because, you know, we all know, you know, longer is is, um, beneficial. But like, what do you think separates good comedians from like average comedians?
1: I think at some point you have to not be worried about making it, you know, because technically I haven't made it. I work, but, you know, I'm not like a Bill Burr or a Dave Chappelle or a Chris Rock Do I think that's coming down the chute? Most definitely. I wouldn't be doing it this long if I didn't think it was going to, you know, eventually turn into what I, you know, and I wouldn't even say it's something that I want it to be at this point. It's just kind of like where the trajectory should lead eventually. But um, I think that people shouldn't really worry about that. What they should worry about is being able to pay their bills and get better at doing what they're doing and just continuing to grow and not be afraid to, put in new material you know like for me the pandemic has been a good thing and the shutdown Mm -hmm. has been a good thing because it's given me a chance to like feel such a separation from my old material that I don't even want to do it anymore and so I'm actually thinking about new stuff and that's what I've been doing in the few times that I've been able to get on stage since you know they've started to reopen some stuff.
0: I love it. And you're in, you know, entertainment capital, you're in Vegas and you're seeing a lot of things that I'm in Orange County. So it's kind of LA, but not really like, what do you think is the future of stand-up comedy?
1: I think it really is going to go back to just people more worried about funny than points of view. And I think if you pay attention to social media, you notice that even though you have to wade through still a, a bit of the, you know, a bit of the shit to like you know to actually see it like um in 2015 when I made it public well I think 2000 yeah 2015 was when you know the Trump energy really started ramping up and like you would mention that you were going to vote for Trump and it would like everybody would attack you you know yeah. Now, if you've noticed, a lot more people are a lot more open to that thinking and becoming a lot more like, you know, well, different strokes for different folks type mentality. And that's also starting to bleed over into entertainment where people are like, you know, okay, well, you know, maybe somebody doesn't have to think exactly like me to find them funny or entertaining because that's not something anybody ever disputed with me. Every once in a while, you'll see some open micer online that's like, you know, well, you're not funny anyway. And I'm like, well, you don't know what you're talking about because even people that don't like me think I'm funny. So funny. That,
0: <laughs> part,
1: <laughs> that part we're not doing, you know? And so a lot of people um, noticed that during last election cycle, you know, that was one of the TV credits I got was for All Deaf Digital. And I was the only person on the panel because it was supposed, it was called The Roast of America. And you were supposed to, like, roast America. And every other comic um, on the panel, on the dais, was either Hillary or Bernie. And I was the only Trump supporter. And they put me at the end because I killed it. (laughs) And during the the day when we were hanging out, you know, waiting to shoot and stuff like that, because you spend all day for the taping, you know, like sitting there and then there's hair and makeup and stuff like that, which I showed up already in hair and makeup. I'm, yeah,
0: fabulous already,
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm not leaving it to these though. Yeah. Yeah. They were nice people, <laughs> but, you know, I, I have needs. So uh, I showed up ready, but, like, when you're sitting around, like, going over your material and stuff, the whole time everybody was borderline hostile with me. Like, nobody liked me. But I was used to that because, you know, that would happen when I was coming up for a different reason, because I was gay, you know, because gay Mm -hmm. when I first started 17 years ago wasn't as accepted as as it is now. So it was cool for people to be openly hostile with me. That's why I say, like, you know, relax into the fact that people don't like you or whatever. Learn to tune them out because it'll end up paying off. Because I was in that situation and I'm dealing with hostility, which I'm used to. I get on, you know, get on the mic. I kill it everything's great. And then afterwards, every single one of those comics came up to me, shook my hand, you know, uh, Earthquake told me if I ever need any help, just to hit him up, let him know, you know, he was like, get a hold of me. Um, Donnell Rawlings was very nice to me. Me and Donnell Rawlings, when we see each other, very friendly now, you know, like uh, Ida Rodriguez had actually got me on the show. She was the one that had my back from the beginning. She got me on that panel because she was like, you're different, you're ethnic, you know, you're, um, Trump supporter. And I just love what you do. So she was like kind of my backbone through that, you know, where it was like, okay, I've got this support system here, even if everybody else here doesn't really like me. And like I said, by the end, everybody was really cool with me. And like, you know, it was a good situation.
0: I love it. That's awesome. So um, before you share social media and see how we can book you and learn more about you, like, um, what are your plans for the for the next I guess six, i mean 2020 is so weird i don't know if we can plan anything at all but like what what's uh what's in the works for you
1: well that's what it really is though you know what i mean we don't know what we, we're gonna what's gonna be the options like i can tell you that a lot of times i do um something called the brewery comedy tour so you know we perform at different breweries throughout the country that's actually a lot more fun than people would probably imagine it being, even though it's a lot of travel in between. But it's really great. And it's my my type of audience. And I love them. And so once that gets started again, and things start opening up throughout the country, I'll definitely be jumping back on that, I'm sure. Working in Vegas quite a bit. I'm from Arizona. So I go back and forth a lot. You know, um, sometimes I spend a lot of time in Arizona. So um, I'm sure I'll be working in Arizona as well. They've started to open up more and more. So we'll see what opens up as far as shows go there. Um, there's a show that I'm doing here in Las Vegas coming up this week. Tomorrow it starts. Yeah, it's Thursday through Saturday. And it's at the Fresh Wada, um, Fresh Wada Theater. And it's spelled like that. Fresh W-A-T-A. <laughs> And it's, um, it's a drive-in comedy show. So this is going to be my first oh,
0: time. Very cool.
1: Yeah, doing a drive-in comedy show. And then there's also the Hilarious Seven here in Las Vegas. And I do that show when they're able to have me. Right now, because it used to be a five-day-a-week show. And now it's been cut down to like three. So fewer spots. There's a bunch of comics here in Las Vegas. And I have to tell you that about Las Vegas. The Las Vegas comedy scene is probably one of the best comedy scenes in the country.
0: And why do you say that?
1: Because you have to perform for people all over, the, from all over the country and all over the world in a lot of cases, you know, like it's, a, it's a multi-ethnic, multinational. Uh, you know, like every audience is just such a mix. And so you really have to learn to adapt and to actually be funny. You can't rely on political correctness here because like different regions don't even subscribe to the same idea of political correctness. You know, like I I said that on Facebook not too long ago and a few people got mad at me, but most people got it. I was like, political correctness really does depend on your politics. You know, and people don't get that, you know? (laughs) And so, uh, but like, because of that, um, the scene, you know, is really good. Like as far as the way that comics have to work here is really, uh, you know, it changes it. And then there's also the fact that Nobody here is worried about political correctness on the comedy scene. Like, when it comes to being a good person, like, that is something that people are, are good about here on this scene. Like, if you're truly being creepy with women, if you're truly homophobic, if you're truly racist, you know, then people won't really want to mess with you that much here. But if you just say off-color jokes on stage, the way it works here is this is a money town. So if people will stay in the room and continue to buy drinks during your silliness, everybody's all right with it. If people are laughing, everybody's all right with it. That's the way it works here. So it makes it a lot more level playing field where it's like, you know, well, are you funny or not? That's what we care about.
0: Love that. That's awesome. So um, what's your website? What's your social media? How can we find you?
1: People can find me at tyrivera.com and if that's too hard for them to remember, they can find me at americasfavoritefag.com and (laughs) not a joke, I own the domain, it'll take you right to my website, no special, no special spelling, americasfavoritefag.com.
0: Awesome, that's excellent marketing. Well, thank you so much, Ty, I really appreciate it, I learned so much from this and I hope to have you on future episodes to come.
1: Yeah, I'm glad we got to actually talk. I had heard your name before, I because I added you, and because uh, you had kind of you know stirred up the waters a little bit, I was like, let right. me <laughs> for myself, because as a person who's been slandered a lot, and I'm not saying that you know you've necessarily been slandered. I haven't talked to you about you know the things that people have said about you or the things that I heard about you online, but as a person who's you know had a lot of people misconstrue things or uh paraphrase my words and pretend they were quotes and stuff like that i was i never like to judge anybody just based off of that but i liked the fact that you were able to get your name on the radar you know because that's what a lot of people don't get like you know, like right. there's so many comedians in la that are just nameless and faceless and yeah their little group of friends know them but in general the scene doesn't know them so they don't really matter. Like a person like you, a person like me, that's able to actually make your name stick in people's heads, that's actually something that's profitable.
0: Right, for sure. Wow, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That's like the best compliment I have.